And obviously things are different. There are some changes being made, but we've all become super flexible in the last two years, right? We roll with the punches, whatever happens. We make mistakes. It's okay. The Lord has called us to worship in spirit and in truth. Our liturgy helps us, but it does not rule us. We're still people entering into this. And so bear with me. My last Sunday in Oklahoma City was on September 12th. By the way, nothing bad happened. Um, I, I was exhausted. I needed a break and felt like the church needed its next pastor. So as we pray together, somehow our churches have also gotten joined together. So pray for City Prez, City Presbyterian Church in Oklahoma City, as they pray for you. They're also looking for a new pastor. I preached twice since then, and the last time was in September. So I'm a little out of practice. So we'll make it. Uh, someone sent me this week uh, a list of Oklahoma, or U.S. cities uh, ranked by happiness scale. Did you guys see this? And Columbia was number two. And I thought to myself, no excuses. <laughs> Cannot blame the city for your unhappiness. And then, of course, I had to check. Oklahoma City was 148, and we moved into uh, Baltimore. It's 146. The discrepancy is huge. We're still happy to be there, though, anyway. Um, one of the, the, the categories that I did not notice, but this is normally a, a category of happiness, is walkability. How, how many times do you have to get in your car to do anything or go anywhere? And I'm guessing that one's a little low, maybe, right in this city where we are. Julie didn't touch her car for two full weeks. Wow, I was her chauffeur, I guess. Uh, so we're thinking about today, I wanted you to think about walkability, how it slows us down, how you notice things differently in your neighborhood or, or wherever, a parking lot, if you're going one mile an hour versus... 15 or 25 or 40 or 80. It, it just is a totally different experience. There, there's a guy named Erling Kagi. He's Norwegian. And he walked to the South Pole by himself without a, a support team. In fact, he had a cell phone and he threw it away the first day. He didn't want to talk with anybody. It took him 50 days. The view never changes. It's white. And he said, the two things you've got to do, number one, is conquer the just step-by-step step every day. You're going to have to walk 12 to 14 hours every day for 50. And if you do that, you're there. But the other thing is your mind. You are all alone. You have no distractions. All you have is this isolation, these fears that come up, your thoughts. Can you imagine walking for 40 days like that? I was thinking about Jesus' modes of transportation, and I could only think of three. Boats, one time on a donkey. Now, I'm not saying he never got on a donkey ever again, but we don't hear of it. And, and walking. He just walked everywhere. And that's what people used to do. Now, there were horses and chariots and, and camels, but those weren't for the poor. Now look at all that we have. Cars and planes and buses and scooters, and bikes, and they didn't have any of that. They just walked everywhere, and that meant they slowed down. And so what I want to, I want to do in these uh, weeks up to Easter, you know, Palm Sunday, that's sort of a set 
there's something you've got to talk about on Palm Sunday, so we'll do that. And Easter Sunday, that's set. I want to get us in Jesus' last week. But the way the church calendar works out uh, is that I want to do two sermons before we get to the last week. Okay? And here's why. There are these four big places in the book of Luke. Bethlehem, right? Three chapters where he's born. And then he grows up and starts his ministry in Galilee and in Nazareth, right? This is his hometown area. This is chapters 3 through 9. And at the end, of course, his, his, his death, his last week, that's in Jerusalem. That's 19 through, through 24. Five chapters, only one week of his life, five chapters. But, but there's this walk that he makes that starts in 951. Uh, you, you'll want to have your Bible or on your phone or whatever. 951 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he's headed to go to die. And then we have ten chapters of this walk. It's not that far of a walk. He goes on the way. And and think about these days of walking. Uh, These chapters where he's talking about his meetings and he's teaching parables. And and I'm calling this a little bit of the in-between. Jesus was born, he started his ministry, he's going to go die. So in this in-between walking thing, there's not a ton of drama. And yet we learn so much as he's teaching and he's telling stories. And so maybe think about your big moments. You know, Jesus being born, Jesus' death and, and resurrection. Your big moments, not the same of course. Your move, a baby being born, a Installing new elders. That's a very, going to be a memorable day in the church. Your new job. Julie just got a new job in the last two weeks. That's exciting. An anniversary. It was our anniversary yesterday. 28 years. Making it. Thank you. Thank you. On the other hand, there are big events that are terrible. On March 3rd, my dad's one year anniversary of his death came. So instantly. Think about how our anniversary and his death are now sort of tied to each other. These two big events in in our lives are joined with only one day apart. And maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's depression. There are these big things, but then there are just all these in-between moments. A normal day. A normal meal. You know, you calculate your life and one-third is spent sleeping. It's amazing. The stuff that happens on Mondays and Tuesdays, it happens in our cubicles or in our classrooms or around the the table. Normal moments. And so this, just two sermons before we get to his last week as we prepare for Palm Sunday and Easter, Good Friday, are these bookend stories on this journey where Jesus is walking, right? So the first point, I just have two points. I'm not going to always have three points. I know, don't tell on me. Don't report me to the Presbyterian police. These two sermons, uh, the, the first one is going to be in chapter 10, or, yeah, this two points. The Samaritan and the Jews, just a whole, like, deal, and then we'll talk about the Good Samaritan, which is at the end of chapter 10. If you look at chapter 9, it's almost the reverse of what I just said. There are big, huge moments in chapter 9. 
right before we get to chapter 10. Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. He feeds the 5,000, which is a story that's in every one of the Gospels. Peter confesses the Christ, this confession on which we build the church, this dramatic moment. He talks about his death. He says, take up your cross and follow me. There's the transfiguration where he's up on the mountain. That's a big one. He heals a boy. There's this argument about who's the greatest. And and then we start his journey. Right? He's walking now toward the cross, and he's walking through Samaria. Samaria is enemy territory. The the Jews and the Samaritans do not like each other. And Jesus could have taken a different path path to Jerusalem, but he goes through there. He enters in. It's a good time to remember that we just mentioned the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. This amazing moment when Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus changed and Moses and Elijah. And that is nine verses. Sometimes you follow Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration. But there's a lot more ink spilled on scrolls about this long trip. And walking with Jesus often goes like this and not like that. More often, I would say. And here then, Jesus calls these people and he sends them out ahead. And they don't respond. These Samaritan villages and James and John are ticked off in 954. And they want to send down fire on these towns that have rejected the invitation to host Jesus. And Jesus rebukes them. He says, no, we're not going to do that. He gets a little traction as he's going. Look at uh, verse 37, uh, 57. There are these people that want to follow him. These, these three people come up and say, we want to follow you, Jesus. Let, let's go. But we've got to do something first. There's something we've got to take care of. And these all sound pretty legitimate. They're not wild, harebrained excuses. And he says, no, it's going to cost you to follow me. Another wake-up call. Honest moment. It doesn't look good for Jesus here. Like he, if he wants to start a movement, you're rejecting followers, Jesus? He, chapter 10, now we're getting a little closer. Chapter 10 uh, sounds a lot better. He sends out 72, so we have 72 plus our 12. And so we're around 100 people. And so he's gaining, he's gaining more momentum. And he talks about that there's a harvest field and there are workers out there. Go out. And then he warns them again that ministry is tough. Ministry is hard. Ministry is difficult. It is not all awesome. You are going to be rejected. You have a tough message. And you'll see some fruit. Amen. That's what keeps us going in ministry so often. It can be so discouraging. And then you see fruit. It invigorates you. The next thing that happens is uh, woe to these unrepentant cities. This is in chapter 10, verse 13. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you would have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. 
but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heavens? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now the important thing about this passage right here, he's in Samaria. He's talking to his followers, which are Jews. And these three cities right here are not Samaritan cities. These are Galilean cities that he's hearing about in Samaria. They should have known better. The Samaritans who are rejecting even my invitation, I'm not going to rebuke them. The, The cities who should know me, They're rejecting me? Woe to them. This is important because we need to remember that a lot of time we spend a lot of energy worried about the outsiders. How they're rejecting Jesus. True. True. We also have to remember to worry about there is a problem inside Right? It's not just all them. There's an us. And it can be true. It's so often true. If you grow up in the church, praise the Lord, you're maybe a covenantal child, but you can in some sense be inoculated to the wonder of God, the beauty of God, the joy of God, to serve Him and to love Him, and to be passionate about Him. We can become cold, disregard his commands, be bored about it, dismiss it, sort of nod our heads in agreement and assent, and then go on our ways. It's a common, common problem. And then you think about the people that really responded to Jesus, that, that could do anything to get near him, right? The marginalized, the poor, the outcasts, often the uneducated, hungry, Sick, demonic. They flock to Jesus. Amen. I'm glad they do. We need to flock to Jesus. Jesus didn't condemn those Samaritan cities. And so we we have to remember that that as we work on these things and, and as we gather together, it's not our liturgy that saves us, it's not our creeds that save us, our theology, our polity. Or our worship. Jesus saves us. We need to be passionate about Him. And these things help us if, if, if we come to them in, in spirit and truth and humility. 72 come back. We're getting close to the, the Good Samaritan story here. And, and they're, they're like, ministry did happen. And Jesus, He says, that's great. Now let's also remember... Ministry doesn't save you. How good of a job you are doing this stuff doesn't save you. Your true calling, with, with all these things that are happening, your true calling is your name is written in the book of life. Amen. We, we're called to do ministry. And we're, we're called to Jesus. Whether we're great ministers or, or lousy ones. And He wants us to hold these. That we are called to be the fruit of the Spirit, to display those. We are called to, to, to call people in, to Christ 
and to do good works. But we are written in the book of life with indelible ink. He has come to us and adopted us and made us His union in Christ is so important because that's where our identity is. Amen? Amen. That's the lead up into the Good Samaritan story. So as we get to there, I want to ask you who, who you think the most famous Presbyterians are. The most famous Presbyterians. Write them down. Think about it. You know, uh, 12 Presbyterians signed the Declaration of Independence. Impressive. Uh, you also got John Wayne, Shirley Temple, William Faulkner, 10 presidents, maybe. The categories get a little looser sometimes. Uh, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. That didn't help. Bob Dole, Ross Perot, Sam Walton, Tim Keller, if you've heard of him. But I, I would submit the most famous Presbyterian minister is Mr. Rogers. He is a Presbyterian minister. 888 episodes. We grew up in the 70s, so I think I've seen every one of them. You know, the documentary and the movie sort of brought him back up a little bit. I hope you've seen those. The movie is incredible. There's one part in the movie where he looks into your soul. <laughs> Set shivers up my spine. I didn't expect it at all. I went with Anna. I was like, this is going to be a fun, nostalgic movie. And I'm like, cry like crazy, Mr. Rogers. I missed you. <laughs> and of course, you know, it's not a gospel show, but it has gospel biblical themes. And of course, the most famous song is Won't You Be My Neighbor? Won't You Be Mine? Won't You Be Mine? Won't You Be My Neighbor? Classic. That's this parable. Who is my neighbor? Won't you be mine? Well, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to be yours, right? Where are we going to live? How's this going to work? And so this story, if you've grown up, you've heard this story, so this should be familiar with you. If, if, if you haven't grown up the church, this is a super great one to wrestle with. This lawyer comes up. A lawyer in this time is more of a scholar, uh, not necessarily a prosecutor. He, a fact checker. This lawyer is, is uh, checking out Jesus' credentials because there are other messiahs around. And so if this is going to be the one that people really think is one, I've got to go talk to him. I've got to ask him some questions, find out if he's legit or not. And so it's probably true that he's He's rehearsed this question and asked it many times with other people that he's run into, with other leaders, prophets, so-called, or uh, so-called messiahs that had followers, rabbis. They've been talking about this since Leviticus. Who is my neighbor? We're called to love our neighbor. Who is it? So he asked the question in, in 925, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is... Uh, previous to the neighbor part. What's written in the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this is an actually perfect answer. You know, Jesus, he's sneaky this way. He answered a question with a question. 
It's always a wonderful idea if you can pull it off. You don't get sent to the principal's office for being a smart aleck. Uh, and, and then this guy answers it exactly right, except he follows it up. And he, desiring to justify himself, isn't that interesting? He's trying to justify himself. What, I don't know if that means to be smart or, or make sure he's, he's a peer. Or, you know, when we think of justify, that's like save himself. And sometimes we save ourselves with being smart or in the know or who we know. So, so he's trying to justify himself, and he says, who is my neighbor? And so then this story comes in, right? Is this a literal neighbor? Um, is this a figurative neighbor? How far does this go, Jesus? Uh, let's get some rules and boundaries on this thing so I, I can know what I need to do. And so Jesus tells the parable, when parables are always sneaking in truths through stories. Often real life stories with real life characters. They're not science fiction or talking about the moon or things. They're, re- they're in the earth. There's a man that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's a 3,000 foot drop through switchbacks and hidey holes. It's dangerous. There are caverns where robbers hide. But sometimes you just got to take your chances. You just can't always go all the way around. You got to get there. You got to go through this bad part of town. So this guy goes down. This Jewish man gets robbed, stripped, left for dead. Maybe he should have known better. Maybe people that take this path with money deserve it. Two guys come by, this priest comes by, knows the law backwards and forward, serves God's people. Can't stop. The Levite, another professional religious person. Got to get to where I'm going. Don't have time to stop. I can sort of sell, assess the situation. This is going to be a whole day's work. I don't got a day. I got to go serve God's people. There's this great... Um, video series called Modern Parables. If you heard of it, it was back in 2010 or 11. But go check those out. And there's one about the Good Samaritan. And it get, places these uh, parables in modern day settings. And I think this one, there's this Muslim guy. Arabic type person. And he's left. And then, you know, uh, a prominent elder leaves him. And the youth pastor doesn't stop. I don't know, maybe it's the other way around. Like Maybe it's a normal person and the, and the Muslim guy saves him. Is that how it goes? Oh, Julie's telling me I'm right. Thank you. Yeah. Well, anyway, watch it and see. Um, but they're busy. One Sunday in Oklahoma, uh, my normal practice would be to get to church at 8, and then I would take my notes out and walk around the neighborhood when it was nice and review my notes, because then otherwise I would get called to do stuff. And on this one Sunday, I walked out, and there was a man walking across the parking lot toward me, and he said, I need help, I need a ride. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm getting ready for my sermon. I've got a really good reason to not help you. And immediately, this parable is like, oh, Jesus. I want to go serve God's people and not serve this person. Uh, so I, I had to help. I had to help. I was guilted into it 
No, I'm kidding. I was kidding. This parable came to mind, and I was thinking, okay, this is not loving to even my people. If I won't do this. So the Samaritan stopped. The bad guys. He's in Samaria. He's put the bad guys as the hero of the story. The Jews needed help and didn't help their own person, their own tribe. The listeners of this would have been shocked. You cannot do this. This turns the tables so much. They would have been furious. Jesus says, this man, this Samaritan, he's the one who stopped to help. He's the one who followed God's law. He's the one who showed mercy. He's the one who loved God and his neighbor. He's the one who paid the price. You go and do likewise. Okay, now how do we apply this for our lives today? Here we are in 2022 out in the second happiest city in the U.S. Um, First, we have a lot of theoretical policies. We have a lot of things that we debate about this, right? What is neighboring? How, How much boundaries are we talking about? How far? And Jesus really is honestly saying neighboring is not a a concept. It's an action. That's when you see it, is when you do it. Our son Drew is a a junior at Cornell, and Cornell still has uh, the requirement that you have to take a PE class to graduate. One hour, two hours, I'm not sure. But one of the PE classes, Drew was telling me, is there's a PE class at Cornell called Thinking About Exercising. (laughs) I kid you not. Is that exercising? No. Thinking about tasting food is not tasting food, is it? No. Reading about how food tastes, not tasting. It's sort of the, you know, this thing isn't going to think itself. This burpee isn't going to do itself. This gas tank isn't going to fill itself. You've got to do the thing. So Jesus is calling us to not be speculative about it all. It might actually be literal. It's a great book called The Art of Neighboring, where he actually says, you know, you've you got to work on this because we've gotten really fractured. Your next-door neighbor one, your next-door neighbor two, and if you could go around, and this is sort of crazy with the way cul-de-sacs work now, but that you might think about, do I know their names? Do I, do I know their stories or how long they've been here? Julie and I, when we were in Oklahoma City, our next-door neighbor on this side was Miss Pearl. She lived there 50, 60 years. She was 80, in her 80s. Um, and so we got to know her and she got to know us. And one day a tornado came in and we didn't have time for her to get her. So we pulled her into our you know, minivan and took her. And so she was with us, Miss Pearl. Now, we were just even talking yesterday. Are we going to get to know our neighbors in our apartment complex? I, I'm walking down the street and there's a, a guy named Dennis I've seen almost every day. and He needs help. Maybe if you're a kid, it could be your sibling. Or if you go to school, your, your person who sits next to you. 
or even on the playground when you're playing with someone. We've got to slow down to notice and to know who they are. Not easy. But the, the, the real big point is maybe when we read this story, maybe you're not the hero. I do think we tend to read this story like, how can I be a Samaritan? That's what I've just been mentioning, right? How can you love your neighbor? How, how can you help people? But also I want you to think, maybe you're the guy who needs help. Who has helped you get to where you are? We often operate, we're in this big meritocracy, and everything I have is because I got it. Where did you get help? How did you get to go on that vacation, trip, or have that experience? Where have you been rescued and saved? And so ultimately, as we wrestle through that, the Good Samaritan is, is Jesus himself, isn't it? The unexpected solution who found us and paid to save us, and who was stripped and beaten and left for dead in order to save us. The one, in fact, who moved into our neighborhood when he didn't have to. Think about all he had, and he got himself into a womb, was born in a stable in Bethlehem, which is like this backwoods town, and I used to know what it was in Oklahoma, but I don't know what the backwoods towns are. The, the place you would never expect the king to come from. Didn't have to do that. Didn't have to become embodied. This is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the universe who moved in and tabernacled among us. It, he died on trumped-up charges as a criminal, totally in the wrong neighborhood, around people that hated him, killed him. And he went there on purpose to save you and me. Amen, right? He didn't leave us alone. He came to save us. He even came to save people that are bad neighbors. Have to be a good neighbor to be saved. When you get saved, you might think about showing the love to others that, that Christ shared for you. He's not just saving his ministry team. He's not just saving the people he thinks are doing good. None of us are doing good. So we all have this thing in our lives that grace is not deserved. That we are not always the Good Samaritan or rescuers. We get rescued by our Good Samaritan. Let me go back to Mr. Rogers for just a minute as we close here. You know, he also strikes every cynical bone in my body. When you think, this guy cannot be this nice. And you know, the movie is sort of about that, isn't it? This, this guy who's in the movie is super cynical. And he sees the love of this person, this flawed man. And you remember Mr. Rogers would sing this song? He very famously sang it to one little boy in a wheelchair. And he said, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. It's you I like. 
the way you are right now, the way deep down inside you. It's not the things that hide you. It's not your toys. They're just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember when you're feeling blue that it's you I like. You, yourself, it's you. Oh, Mr. Rogers, sheesh, dude. This guy's singing into a TV to kids. So today, we have a much better pastor. We have the rescuer. The good Samaritan who did all this for you, and it's you he loves. It's not your clothes, or your hair, or what you do. You. He loves you. Amen.